Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Well, good morning. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mark, for that warm welcome. Um, It is wonderful to be able to share God's word with you this morning as well. I wonder whether you have ever played the game this or that. Maybe you've played it in a small group or with your friends, but I thought it would be a great way for you to get to know me a little bit more this morning. Um, And it's just a fun thing to do as well. So as I go through each of these different either-ors, you can put your hand up whether you think I prefer one or the other. So the first one is, do you think that I prefer coffee or tea? Who thinks coffee? Who thinks tea? Oh, well, I'm actually a coffee drinker. (laughs) So I'm looking forward to morning tea afterwards. What about the mountains or the beach? Who thinks I love the mountains? And what about the beach? Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit more of a mountains girl, I think. I love bushwalking. What about the third one? Black or purple? Who thinks my favorite color is black? Nobody, oh, a couple of people. What about purple? Yes, I absolutely love purple. And the last one is sweet or savory? Who thinks I love sweet foods? What about savoury foods? Well, I think I can put both hands up for this one (laughs) because I just love sweet and savoury together. Does anyone else like that combo together, like salted caramel popcorn? It's really, really yummy. And maybe this is a game that you can play with other people that you know as well. And when we do play games like this with our friends, it can be so encouraging when we get most, if not all, of these answers right, because it means that we know that other person pretty well. But playing this game can also make us feel a little uncomfortable if we don't get those answers right as well. Maybe we don't know that person as well as we thought we did, after all. So I wonder who would you say knows you the best? Is it a friend or a family member or perhaps somebody else? Is there someone in your life whom you could confidently say could answer all of those sort of questions about you and get them all right? It can be that sobering thought and realisation when we realise that the people closest to us may not know us that well at all. But what would it look like to be fully known by those closest to you? And what would it feel like to be fully loved by them too? And is this something that you long for in your own life, to have deep, intimate relationships with other people? The late Tim Keller wrote, To be loved but not known is comforting, is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. So at our deepest level, we all desire to be fully known. But our greatest fear is to be fully known but not fully loved. The fear of rejection often grips our hearts and causes us to pull back and hide from others worried that if they really knew our thoughts, our words, and our actions, 
they may not want to know us at all. And therefore, in order to protect ourselves, we may choose to share only just enough with other people so that we don't feel like we will be rejected by them. And maybe you can relate to doing this in your own life. This fear of being rejected and fear of being fully known is a real fear. And this fear actually goes back to the fall. If we think back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, before sin entered the world, mankind lived in harmonious relationship with God. Adam and Eve were not only fully known and fully loved by God, but they had deep, intimate relationship with one another. They were both naked and unashamed. But when sin entered the world, everything changed. At once, there was this fracturing of relationship between God and us. Naked and unashamed became naked and afraid. Adam and Eve both ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, despite being commanded by God not to do so for their own good. And suddenly, they both recognize that they are naked and vulnerable, and they quickly hide from God. It says in Genesis that it was their nakedness that caused them to hide from God. And it was their vulnerability before God and their fear of rejection by him that caused them to be afraid. You know, even after making that covering of fig leaves for themselves, Adam and Eve still felt exposed, insecure and ashamed. How on earth were they going to ever experience deep intimacy with God again? But even though Adam and Eve were subsequently banished from the Garden of Eden, again for their own good, God already had a plan in place to redeem and rescue all of humanity through his son, Jesus Christ. Isn't it an amazing thought to know that God not only knows everything about us and yet still fully loves us? God doesn't just see that image that we choose to portray on social media or those carefully crafted texts that we might send to one another or the mask that we may choose to wear in front of other people. God sees everything and he knows everything and yet he loves us. And rather than viewing this as an awful and a fearful thing, King David responds in the psalm that we have heard this morning, in Psalm 139, how awesome a thought this truly is. He says, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You per perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a, a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. David affirms in these first six verses that God fully knows him. There's nothing about David that takes God by surprise. God knows everything about him and yet fully loves him. You know, I love the way Augustine put it. He said, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. 
It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? We have God's full and complete love and attention. And so today I want to briefly look at three people in the Bible and how they came to realize each in different ways how much they were fully known and yet fully loved by God. And maybe you might be able to identify with one or more of these people. Firstly, the woman at the well. Now, many of us are very familiar with this story. It's found in John chapter 4. Jesus and his disciples are on their way back to Galilee, having been in Judea. And there were three routes that he, they could have taken, but they had to go through Samaria. You see, Jesus had a divine appointment to keep. And Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, he sat down on the well about midday to rest, while his disciples went into town to get something to eat. And a Samaritan woman comes along to draw water from the well. And Jesus asks her, will you give me something to drink? Now, the fact that this woman had gone to draw water from the well on her own and in the middle of the day are two indicators that all may not be well with her soul. Why is she not drawing water in the early part of the day with the other women? There's more to her backstory than we are told. But Jesus already fully knows what it is. And so he starts with his own physical need for a drink of water from the well and uses this physical need as a lead-in to offering this woman spiritual water that will satisfy her true thirst forever. Jesus says to her in John 4, starting from verse 13, Everyone who drinks this water from the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. In that very moment, this woman is confronted with her sin. She could have run away from Jesus right then and there, but she chose to stay and keep on conversing with this man who seems to know everything about her. And as they keep on talking, her eyes are open to the reality that it is Jesus, the Messiah, who is speaking to her. Jesus saw behind the mask to the scars that she bore on her heart, both past and present. He saw the sin and the shame that she was carrying. Jesus knew everything about her, and yet he also fully loved and accepted her and offered her the greatest gift of all, the gift of eternal life. You know, we too can take our masks off before Jesus. We no longer have to hide behind them as well. 
Just like that Samaritan woman, we too can breathe a deep sigh of relief that we are safe in God's presence. God doesn't use the intimate knowledge that he has of us against us, but rather he offers us amazing grace and the forgiveness of sin so that we can be redeemed and restored to right relationship with God through faith in Jesus. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrated his own love for us through this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't ask us to get our act together before we come to him. He already knows all of our secrets, the things that we've done, the words we've said, the thoughts we've had that we'd rather other people not know about. God already knows all of them, and yet he still loves us with an everlasting love. So I wonder whether you've entered into this new year feeling weighed down by guilt and shame. Are there things that you have been trying to hide from God? Have you ever struggled with feeling like you're not good enough or lovable enough to be loved by God? Well, I want you to know that God loves you just the way you are. He loves you fully and completely, and he wants to be in relationship with you. Just like the Samaritan woman, you too can be set free from sin and shame and drink deeply from the spring of living water that wells up to eternal life. The Apostle Paul, he came to know also that he was fully loved and fully known by God, but in a very different way to the Samaritan woman. And to recount his story, we need to go back from when he was not known as Paul, but back to when he was known as Saul. And the first time that we're introduced to Saul, this young man, is when those who were accusing Stephen of blasphemy, a follower of Jesus, they were laying their coats at Saul's feet as Stephen was being dragged out of the city to be stoned to death. Saul was zealous for God. And in his own words, he intensely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Saul thought that he was doing the right thing in God's eyes. If we just listen to his own testimony that he gave to King Agrippa some 20 years later, this is what he said. It's found in Acts chapter 26 from verse 9. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. But one day, Saul had a life-changing encounter with Jesus, which saw him from being changed from a persecutor of the church to a proclaimer of the gospel. And this is how Saul recalls this encounter with the risen Jesus, found in Acts 26 from verse 12. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. 
At about noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. It was because of God's great love for Saul that he reached out to Saul, calling him by name and transformed him from being an enemy of the cross to an exemplary evangelist. Paul himself recalls to his young protege Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.13 that even though I, Paul, was once a blasphemer, you notice the turnaround there? And a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Saul also was fully known and fully loved by God. He thought he knew who Jesus was. He thought he was acting in God's best interest up until that encounter on the road to Damascus. But from that moment on, Saul's entire worldview changed. He had experienced the transforming power of God's grace in a profound way, and it would radically impact his life and his preaching from that moment on. Paul reflects in Galatians 2.20 and can now say, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Uh, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you ever feel like you're not worthy to receive God's grace because of things that you may have done in the past? Maybe you too, like Saul, have done things in God's name or Jesus' name that in hindsight, maybe you now realize was naive or perhaps misinformed. I want you to know God longs to lavish his grace on you just as he did Saul as well. And he's calling you too by name to turn from your current ways and to follow Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. Ephesians 1.7 says that in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. You know, one of my favorite stories is of the Apostle Peter. In Luke chapter 22, we read that in the Last Supper, Jesus intimates to Peter, whom he calls Simon, that Satan is about to test his faith. But Peter, in Luke chapter 22, verse 33, replies, Lord, I am ready to go to, with you to prison and to death. 
You know, Jesus already knows what's going to happen. And so he says to Simon Peter, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. You know, I'm sure those words struck really deeply in Peter's heart. I'm sure it was unfathomable for him to even contemplate denying Jesus, the one before him. But as we read further on, after Jesus is arrested and led away to the house of the high priest, Peter stands in that courtyard and he disowns Jesus three times before the rooster crows, just as Jesus had predicted. With the reality of what had just happened setting in, he goes away. He goes outside and he weeps bitterly. Peter had denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. How heartbreaking that must have been for him to acknowledge that he had just done that. Well, as we know later on, he goes. Jesus later appears to the 11 in the upper room. And then again by the Sea of Galilee. This is where we read of Jesus' beautiful reinstatement of Peter. After Jesus motions the disciples to let down their nets for a huge catch, he cooks breakfast for them on the beach. And we read in John chapter 21 from verse 15 that when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt when Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Unlike in the story of the Samaritan woman where Jesus had a physical need and asked the woman for a drink before he moved on to address her spiritual need, here Jesus himself cares for and meets the physical needs of his disciples before moving on to Peter's greatest spiritual need, his need to be reinstated. Three times Peter had denied Jesus Three times Peter affirms his love for Jesus and three times Jesus commissions Peter to shepherd and feed his flock. This again is a beautiful picture of Jesus not only fully knowing Peter but also fully loving him. So much so that he specifically went out of his way to restore Peter to apostleship and commission him for service. Where once Peter denied Jesus three times, later on we read in the gospel that bears, Je- that bears Peter's name in 1 Peter 4 verse 14. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. Notice the turnaround again. 
from denier of Jesus to discipler of others. You know, it's often not until times of testing come that we are going to know how we are going to respond. Will we resist the devil and stand firm in our faith? Or will we be like Peter and deny ever knowing Jesus? Although Peter in the heat of the moment denied Jesus three times, Jesus still knew Peter's heart toward him. And that is why Peter so emphatically says to Jesus, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. As Peter later writes, love covers over a multitude of sins. If Peter's story has resonated with you in some way today, I want you to know that God longs to restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast in the faith as well. Again, he asks for you to humbly come forth towards him and ask for his forgiveness. And he will restore you to full fellowship, just as he did for Peter. So how does it sit with you to know that you were both fully known and fully loved by God? Has that fact penetrated your heart or do your feelings tell you something different? As Christians, we are to acknowledge our feelings, but we must also ensure that we are placing our faith in the trustworthiness of God and in his word. Christian author Jerry Bridges once wrote, God's unfailing love for us is an objective fact affirmed over and over in the scriptures. It is true whether we believe it or not. Our doubts do not destroy God's love, nor does our faith create it. It originates in the very nature of God, who is love, and it flows to us through our union with his beloved son. God fully knows you, just as he fully knows me. And he fully loves you, just as he fully loves me. 1 John 3.16 says that this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. God's ultimate display of love was the sending of his son Jesus to die on the cross to be our saviour. And just as God proclaimed from heaven when Jesus was baptised, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Well, God longs for each one of us to be part of his family as well. The Samaritan woman, she was weighed down by guilt and shame, but she was set free when she believed and drank the living water offered her by Jesus. Saul, once a persecutor of God and his children, was lavished with God's grace despite his past and went on to become God's mouthpiece to the Gentiles. And Peter, well, he caved under pressure when his faith was tested and denied three times that he even knew Jesus. But Jesus lovingly pursued and reinstated him. Which, if any of these, do you relate to the most? I know that there are aspects of all three of these stories that I can relate to. But I'm so thankful that God fully knows me. He knows I am a flawed, sinful human being. He knows everything about me, and yet he still fully loves me, just as he fully knows and loves you.
As A.W. Tozer once wrote, Jesus came not to condemn you, but to save you, knowing your name, knowing all about you, knowing your weight right now, knowing your age, knowing what you do, knowing where you live, knowing what you ate for supper and what you will eat for breakfast, where you will sleep tonight, how much your clothing cost, who your parents were or are. He knows you individually as though there were not another person in the entire world. He died for you as certainly as if you had been the only lost one. He knows the worst about you and is the one who loves you the most. So as we head into 2024, I invite you to remember and to reflect daily on the awesome knowledge that we are not only fully known, but also fully loved by God. Allow that truth to sink deeply into your heart this year. Don't let it be just something that you know. And if you've never asked Jesus to be Lord and Saviour of your life, I'd love to give you an opportunity to do that right now. So as we all close our eyes and bow our heads and just join in prayer, if there is any here today or listening online and you would like to ask Jesus to be Lord and Saviour of your life, then pray something like this along with me. It doesn't have to be these words, it can be whatever God puts on your heart. Lord, I come to you just as I am. And I recognise, Lord, that there are things that I have said, things that I have thought, things that I have done that have not been pleasing to you. And I say sorry. Lord, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. And that through believing in Jesus, you offer me a fresh start to wipe my slate clean. And so today I choose to put my faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour of my life from this moment on. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Lord, we want to thank you that you do fully know each one of us and yet you fully love each one of us as well. Lord, we just want to pray that as we go into this year that that would not just be head knowledge but it would truly be heart knowledge for each one of us. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be weighed down by guilt and shame like the Samaritan woman. But Lord, you offer us the opportunity to lay that at the foot of the cross and be set free from it. We thank you, Lord, that even when we've said and done things that we thought perhaps would be pleasing to you, but in hindsight we realise perhaps we're not, that you show us and lavish upon us amazing grace. And we thank you, Lord, that even when there's times that we deny even knowing you, Lord, that you long for us to be in relationship with you and that you long to reinstate us for service. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that in you, in Christ, there is salvation for each one of us. And, Lord, that you love us so fully and you want us to be ambassadors for you in this world so that others would also know how fully known and yet fully loved they are by you as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. 
Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing, intergenerational, and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.